0: Hey, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Philemon. It is right before Hebrews and right after Titus. And I know at least one of you will tell me there are alternate ways to enunciate it. And that's fantastic. Just save it for yourself. You have every right to be wrong. It's okay. Uh, it shocks me anyway who's was here. I, I got it this morning and I could hear it was raining. And I thought, man, today's probably going to be standing room only. <laughs> it's cold. It's the first day of the year. It's raining. And we're talking about money. I mean, who wouldn't want to come to church? <laughs> right? I mean, just all of those incredible things. It, it's, it's funny how um, tight and, 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 and uh, worried, worrisome that people get when people start talking about money. But I, I think, listen, if that is your mindset, just on behalf of, of all Christians and on behalf of all churches in the West, let me be the first to apologize because that is not the intention of God's word. It is not the Bible's intention, nor the writers of the Holy Scripture's intention to make us feel um, tied and worried and and fearful that that God's going to do something with our money or ask us to do something that we're going to be completely against. Uh, Jesus and the writers of Scripture had much to say about money that's very, very encouraging and very, very thought-provoking and tons of wisdom that it's not that way at all. It's actually full of wisdom. Well, Philemon, he um, was obviously, he was blessed by God. Those of you that are not familiar with him, he had a reputation for being a blessing to others. And Paul is challenging him to take his financial blessings and spiritual generosity to another level by forgiving a slave, a former slave by the name of Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was Philemon's slave, and when Paul was in prison, he somehow led Onesimus to Christ, and so Onesimus has got to go back home to see Philemon. Well, now, because of, he's a brother in Christ, he is no longer a slave. And so Paul's writing this letter, he's saying, hey, you are a generous man. You are a thoughtful man, you are a forgiving man, you are a loving man, and I'm asking you to do those things for Onesimus, and it's not believed that he was some type of fugitive slave, or he'd done something wrong and left, it's just now he had gone from being an employee to a peer, and this relationship had to be redefined, even culturally, as Christianity has radically defined culture. And it's the way that God has intended. If you've got your notes, I would encourage you to follow along. We're going to talk about a few points and read along in Scripture. The first thing that we see based, uh, in, in this passage is generosity is based on a love for Jesus. Generosity is based on a love for Jesus. We read in verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Verse 5, he skips down, he says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all of the saints. Skip down to verse 9, he says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'm begging you, Philemon, to to look at Onesimus differently than you have before. When we think about generosity, it comes out of a a being based out of a deep, deep love for Jesus. We give because he gave. Now, if you're one of those people that give to the church and you give out of guilt, can I just free you up and say, you're forgiven? You don't have to give out of guilt. The reason we give is out of a genuine love for Jesus and what he did. We don't give to get. We give because he's given. We give because God asks us to to be faithful in these small areas, and he's going to reward that. The world asks, and this should be in their notes, what does a person own? But God asks, how does a person use what he or she has been given? Generosity is based on a deep love for Jesus. Um... When we lived in, in major, when we lived in Atlanta, when we lived in Memphis, when we lived in South Florida, we obviously there was an interstate that was right by where we would live, and we were constantly on our ramps and off ramps and things like that. And typically, on certain times of year, and really any time of the year, depending on the weather, there would be people that would be holding a, a cardboard sign, or sometimes even a white erase marker, kind of dry erase marker board, and um, would be asking for something. And we've all been in that situation where you pulled up next to them, and you, they know you're there, and you know they're there. But for whatever reason, your, your heart's saying, don't make eye contact. If I don't make eye contact, I don't have to give, right? But that, that's not the heart of Christ. Listen, I, I'm the same way when I'm watching TV. The commercial that I hate more than any other commercial in the world is when I hear the first note. Of In the Arms of an Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. And those puppies are gonna come up with the sad faces, or one of them's missing an eye. In the arms. I'm like, Aah! and I change as fast as I can. And those commercials are like 63 minutes long anyway. It's like Sarah McLaughlin remix. It's the strangest thing in the world. Listen, I don't want you to give out of guilt. God's not looking for your money, God's looking for your heart. He doesn't need my money he doesn't even need me or you he wants us and I want to be a part of what God is doing if we give God our heart our money follows that and listen one of the things is that I want to be a people I want to be people that doesn't we don't just give to keep the lights on or to keep it warm in the winter or cool in the summer I want to be a people where we give jet fuel money, where it's rocket fuel, that we're able as a a church and as a ministry and as a body of Christ to do things way beyond our expectation or imagination. That we would begin to give and trust God for big things. Not God, would you save my neighbor? Yes, but God, would you save my neighborhood? Not God, would you save my coworker, but Father, would you save the owner of my company and cause us to be a Christian-based organization, even though we live in a secular market and offer secular goods. That we begin to think big things. We begin to do big things. We begin to pray big prayers. Generosity is genuinely based on a love for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, don't give by compulsion, but rather of your own free will. The second thing we see in this passage is generosity reflects thankfulness. Generosity reflects thankfulness. Verses in 18 and 19, it says, If he, talking about Onesimus, has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand and I will repay it to say nothing of your owning me or even your own self. See, Paul's saying, hey, listen, I've become a spiritual father to not just you, but also to Onesimus. And if he's wronged you or he owes you anything, if there's there's back taxes, you charge it to me. Because I love him so much and I want him to grow in his faith, I will pay his charge. I will assume his debt and cancel it out. By the way, you owe me your life. One of my... Pastor Friends tells a story of this. I, I, I love, by the way, I, I love meeting with new Christians. New Christians help me see things that because I've been a Christian for so long and in ministry, they help me see things that I don't see anymore. Like when you, oh, for instance, um, I use this illustration sometimes. When you go to the beach, you go to the ocean, you first drive up, you, you, you can smell it before you see it. You you can smell the salt water, the kind of fishy fishy smell in the air, just the ocean. And there's something really, really great about that. And you know what's crazy? When you've been there about 10 or 15 minutes, a smell goes away, doesn't it? But you don't smell it as much. And it's not that it goes away. It's because you become and I become used to it. We become common with it. it. It becomes common to us. And so when I have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone that is new in the faith, a new Christian, or even someone that's not even a Christ follower yet, and I ask them question. It 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 um it challenges me in my thinking. It challenges me in my theology. It challenges me in the way that I see things because they see things through a lens that you and I don't see things anymore. So one of my pastor friends was having a conversation with a newly uh, a new Christian, and this is what he said: This church has made a difference in our marriage, in my children and in our home so you can only spend what we give right I can't imagine how someone could come week after week and sit and enjoy everything the church is doing and not feel like they have to chip in when I read that I thought yes Here's the thing, I don't want you, and Brother Michael, none of us, we don't want you to give out of compulsion. We don't want you to give out of guilt. We want you to be freed up to where you give out of the overflow of love and gratitude for what our gracious, great God has done in your life, is doing in your life, and will do in your life. When we understand that everything we own belongs to him, it makes it a lot easier to live life with with our hands open. One of the things that we pray oftentimes when we're, when we're praying over our food um, during meals is is we'll say something like, God, we have this food because you've given it to us. You've given it to us. You say, well, what are you talking about? I, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I went to school. I paid my way through school. I studied hard. I worked hard. I did things that people weren't willing to do. I got up early. I stayed up late. I I did everything I needed to do. I've gone through a lot of sacrifices. I've driven really, really junky cars so I could drive a nice car now. I have this food because I've worked for it. You have. But God's given you every opportunity that you have. God's given you your health. God's given you your intelligence. God's put people in your life to challenge you when you needed to be challenged. God's put people in your life to rebuke you when you needed to rebuke you. You see, everything that we have is because... God is gracious and if I don't become a conduit of God's graciousness and if I don't become a conduit of God's faithfulness and of his blessings then I will begin to sit soak and sour and the blessings stop. Generosity reflects a genuine sense of thankfulness. The third thing we see is that generosity meets real needs. Generosity meets real needs. Look at verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 20 says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. See, we're taught as Christians not to ask for things, right? That if we're suffering, then we must be doing something right. And if we're going through a tough time, then then things must be going well in this upside-down view of Christianity and our world. And are we going to face hard times? Absolutely. Are we going to face difficulties in our walk with Christ? Absolutely. But guys, can I tell you something? Listen to this. None of us came to Jesus because of what we could do for him. All of us came to Jesus because of what he would do for us. And he knew this, and he began the process. The the Word of God tells us that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws, letting us know that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, initiates the call of salvation in our life. It's not like in my flesh I begin thinking, you know what I want to do? I think I want to live for God and deny everything inside of my flesh to tell me to do something opposite. You see, in our flesh, it pushes us farther and farther away, and so even the thought of coming to God is from God himself. It's an initiation by the Holy Spirit. None of us come to Christ because of what we can do for him. All of us come to him because of what he can do for us. And we have this tendency to think that none of us should think that way. But we read right here in the Apostle Paul. He's saying, listen, I derive much joy from my relationship with you. And I'm asking you to bless me. I'm asking you to do something for my heart. I'm asking you to to speak into my life because I have real needs one of the most tragic things for me in being in ministry is meeting with couples or individuals when their life has completely fallen apart and it feels like it's almost too late we have this, this false sense of, of I, don't, I don't know what it, it's a lie from the pit of hell that we have to pretend that all of us have everything together at all times hey you know what This room is filled with broken people, and I know because I'm one of them. I struggle like a lot of you guys, many of you guys, maybe worse than some of you guys. And I know that's not very comforting to say, and I know you think, well, maybe he shouldn't be up there preaching. Well, maybe I shouldn't. But anybody, the the difference between here and here is just vocation and what God's called me to and what God's called you to. We have real needs. If you're in here and your marriage is struggling or you're financially struggling or you're relationally or you have family issues, please, I'm begging you, please don't wait till the dam is crumbling down and the floods are flooding in. Come early. Find accountability. Find a prayer group. Find people that are going to speak into your life and love you through the process. Don't wait till it's too late. People fall all the time, better people than me, better people than you, and so it must be easier than we think. It must be much easier than we think for us to throw everything away. But generosity meets real needs. One of the reasons I love our church is because we're committed to meeting real needs, not just in our fellowship and not just in our community, but in our our state and our region and the world. We want to be a people that meet real needs. James L. Kraft, um, who's the owner of Kraft Foods, said the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money that I've given to the Lord. Back in 2004, Becca and I and and another sweet, sweet couple of friends of ours, we went out to um, a purpose-driven youth ministry conference out at Saddleback. And it was just a year or two after the book, The Purpose Driven Life, had come out. Maybe you heard of it. It's the second greatest selling book of all time behind the Bible. Like, literally. I'm not making that up. And um, so Rick Warren comes on stage, and he speaks, and he's talking about how money began just pouring in. That he wasn't, they weren't ready. They wrote, The Purpose Driven Life, if you don't know, they wrote this book as a Sunday school, 40-day curriculum for their church. Just an in-house thing. And it freed up so many people that obviously they were like, hey, we need to turn this into a book. And so they did, and it just took off. It boomed. And it's this incredible thing. And so he said they were just pulling trucks up and just dumping money into our account, into banks. And we were thinking, what do we do with all like, I, I don't, I don't, I've never seen this much money. He said, so my wife and I made a couple of decisions. This is what we did. We decided we were going to pay back the church for 24 years of salary and never take another penny in salary. And so they did that. He said, then we became reverse tithers. We started giving 90% of our income and living on 10%. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but when 10% is $3 million a year, who cares? You're missing the point. Anybody that's willing to live upside down and give 90% of their income and live on 10, now sure, uh, could could many of us do that in here? Very few of us. But the thought of that, that that there's a real need, that generosity meets real needs. There's something so incredible about that. The average medium household income in our area, according to the last census, is $32,000 a year. Meaning... The average home in our area, Albany, Doherty County, this this region, average bring-home pay is $32,000. In our church, we have about 280 to 300 giving units. Now, what that means is in my home, me and my wife and our children, we count as a giving unit. Whether my kids give or not, and you better be, but whether, whether my kids give or not, we are a giving unit. So we have about 280, sometimes less to 300, sometimes more, giving units. So let's think about this. If, if if all tithe, if all the membership, the resident membership, and our budget's about four and a half to five million dollars a year as a church, if all of the members just tithe on $32,000 a year, our budget would be at $9 million. Almost double. Now I don't say that to beat you up. I say that to say, think about the possibilities Think about the ramifications of that. If if we would just say, God, I'm going to take you at your word, and I want to be generous because you have been generous, then the ministry we would be able to do would far exceed what we're doing right now. Do you know if just the Christians in America, the ones that claim to be Christians that attend evangelical church, if if we gave, there would be no need for health care. There would be no need for Obamacare or insurance or things like that. And the reason why is because the church would be able to meet the needs, real needs, felt needs of real people, and it would open, it would kick open the gate for gospel conversations. If we were just be obedient to what God is calling us to do. The fourth thing we see is that generosity is based on partnership in the gospel. Now, I know we don't like to think about being in partnership with a church or to be like like kind of a business type model or anything like that, but we are in a business, and our business is reaching people for the glory of God. That's our business. We want to glorify the Father with everything we say and do, and we want to show as many people as we possibly can about the goodness of God, but generosity is based on a partnership With the gospel, look at verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. He's saying, hey, listen, we are running this race together. You are beside me. And it's not if this person makes more money or the same amount or less money. We are in this fight together. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul's saying, listen. I know the new relationship with Onesimus, your former slave, now your peer, might feel a little strange. But if you consider me your partner, I'm asking you to consider him your partner as well. Not because of what he's done, but because of our relationship. I'm asking you to trust him the same way that you trust me. And just earlier he said, listen, if there's anything, you put it on my account. This, this partnership in the gospel is real. And it, as I say this in Sherwood's story all the time, it, it, uni, unity doesn't mean unanimity. For us to live in unity, it doesn't mean that we have to agree on all things. There are people in this room that voted all over the board for various candidates. Some of you wrote yourself in. Some of you didn't vote. And the world would say, that's what divides us. But the gospel says Jesus unites us, and we can live in unity without having total unanimity. And what I mean by that is this. Hey, there are times that my wife and I don't always agree on everything, but at the end of the day, we're married, and I'm grateful. Those of you that are old enough, you remember what it was like to jumpstart a car, push, push a car, right? If you grew up a little poor, maybe you do, maybe you don't, right? But my mom had this car, and she, me and my sister would have to get behind it sometime. And um, we'd have to push-start it. And so we push, and once it gets to a certain speed, what, what would they yell? Pop the clutch. And it was always frustrating if somebody didn't know how to drive stick, because you're pushing as hard as you can, and they don't pop it right, and you're like, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> but you're pushing, and you're running, and, and he says, pop the clutch, and you, you run up and jump in, you know, it's, it's not real safe, I'm sure. I don't know a lot about automation, but here's what I can tell you. When you're jump-starting a car, when you're push-starting a car, it helps if we're all pushing from the same end. If somebody's pushing from the back somebody's pushing from the front, we're just not going to get it done. And so as the gospel unites and we're in this partnership together, then we have to understand that we need to be all pushing from the same end it doesn't mean that we always agree on this or we always agree on that but see listen if that is not your mindset you're not a partner you're a customer and this is not about me and these songs are not about me and God doesn't care if you like these songs or don't like these songs these songs are not written for you or for me there's a certain style of music that I like and I prefer there's certain, some songs I don't like. I won't tell you what they are, but there are certain songs that I don't really care for. I wouldn't care if we ever sing them again. But guess what? They're not for me. I, don't, I can't have a customer mindset in Christianity and in the body of Christ. There's no room for that if we're going to get down the road. For us to be a generous people, we have to understand that we are living and giving to something far greater than ourselves. Fifth thing we see is generosity cultivates more generosity. It's the craziest thing in the world to think when I give, it makes me want to give more. Verse 21 says, confident of your your obedience. Paul's saying, I know you're going to obey because of your character and because of your love for Jesus. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Paul's talking Philemon into not just accepting Onesimus, but blessing him and bringing him alongside so that they can live in unity together. And he's saying, forgive his debts, and if he has anything and you want me to repay you, I will repay you, but don't you forget about our relationship. And Paul said, because I know who you are, I know that you're going to do far more than I even ask, because that's the type of man that you are. Malachi 3.10, we see that God literally, quote, pours down blessings on generous givers. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11, we see that God multiplies the seed or the gift for sowing for generous givers. I love being around generous people, and not because I'm a recipient. I just love, like I'm telling you guys, when I see those shows where people are, or those, those Facebook videos where people are paying for somebody's groceries or, or paying for someone's car repair, and, and those things have happened to us. Like we've gone into restaurants, and, and people have paid for our meals, and we didn't even know who they were. That blows me away. Now we went to the restaurant fully prepared to pay. Somebody just gives. God blesses that. When God sees the motivation of our hearts, that it's not to get, but it's simply to give, to bless. That generosity, it breeds more generosity. It's one of those things that I hope my kids see in us. It's one of the things I hope your kids see in you. And more than that, it's one of the things that I want our community to see in us as a church. Very few of you know this story. Uh, A lot of you know that um, we adopted our second daughter, Kayler, this past January. We were sitting right here, January 10th on a Sunday night. It was 6.10, and we got a call from our advocate in Atlanta, and of course we didn't answer it because we're singing, and that would be rude and it would make people mad, and understandably so. But the next text, it just said, Kayler is here. And we just sat right here. And Becca said, What do we do? I said, We keep singing. <laughs> what you don't know is over a year before that, as we were preparing to leave Florida, we had packed up all of our clothes and pots and pans. It was three days before we moved back to Albany. And this couple came over to our house and they brought over a pizza because we'd packed away all the stuff and we cleaned the house and wanted to leave we were renting and and they brought over this this box it was a Christmas ornament I had lost my mom and my sister that same year so they brought this Christmas ornament it was basically just like to remember someone this season as in loss as you've experienced this will be your first Christmas without this loved one and they said we want you to open it when Becca gets home and we want to FaceTime and kind of explain it and so Becca got home and so we're FaceTiming this family just people in my church and I opened it up and there was a check and we opened it up and it was written out to us and it says for your next adoption whatever it takes and they stroked a check for the entire amount of our adoption we didn't have a GoFundMe account we didn't tell our parents our friends our church nothing and nothing's wrong with any of that stuff I'm just telling you we didn't and God met a need. And you know what God's done? That's not, that's not yay on us. That's yay on that couple. He said, don't ever tell anybody who we are. And God has continued to bless that family. Generosity brings more generosity. God's blessed this family, and God's blessed my family, and I have to believe that God's blessed your family, and it's not for the sake of just our family, but it's so that we could be not not buckets, but pitchers to pour in and to pour out and to fill other people out. Let me give you a a couple of blanks on the bottom of um, why my family gives to this church. Let me say this. First and foremost, the reason I give to this church is I'm employed by this church. So it only makes sense, just from a selfish standpoint, for me to give, right? If I want to be employed, I need to be faithful. But I started tithing as a ninth grader. My first job was at Quincy's Steakhouse, home of the big fat yeast roll. You guys remember that place? That's all I need is one more yeast roll, right? (laughs) That was my first job. I was 15 and a half years old. I had to get a a sheet. I forget what it was called. I had to get a permission slip saying it was okay for me to work before I was 16. And my mom would drive me to work, and I'd wash dishes. And sometimes then I became a server. And then I graduated to breakfast cook. I, I began tithing as a ninth grader. I worked all the way through high school, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, all the way through college, and I gave. It wasn't much, but I gave. Why? Because God's given me so much, and I wanted to be a generous person. And I believed, Brother Michael, in the old building and in this building, and my youth pastor that told me, that said, listen, if you are generous with God, God will be generous with you, but don't do it out of that motivation alone. But here's why my family gives. First, we give to Sherwood because this church believes and teaches the gospel. First off, I wouldn't attend a church that would not believe and teach the gospel. But if I did, I certainly wouldn't be giving to it. I'm grateful for our church, that we're committed to God's word, and that I can't change the word to fit my life. I have to fit my life to the word. My family gives because Sherwood loves families. We celebrate marriage and birth and adoption. And prodigals coming home, and marriages being restored, and I give to this church, and our, our family gives to this church because our church loves families. We give this church because our church serves the poor. Hey, I can promise you, there's not a lot that comes back to us by having a presence in inner city Albany and working down at the Coke plant, but I can promise you this: this is what the gospel demands of us. That we would go and, and teach the gospel and preach the gospel and raise disciples and raise up men and women who love Jesus and try to restore relationships and speak truth and life into fatherless homes. Our church serves the poor. My family gives to this church because it cares about missions and the nation's. That we're not a church that just throws money towards missions, but we're a part of the largest mission-sending agency in the entire world, supporting close to 4,000 missionaries around the world who did not get to see their family for Christmas outside of maybe a Christmas card or a brief FaceTime video. And not just missions here in Albany, but missions in the state and missions on our continent and the other continents around the world. That we are a church that believes in missions. I give to our church because I trust with all my heart that our church handles funds with absolute integrity and transparency. Hey, you know one thing about a community like Albany is just that, number one, you got to be careful who you talk about because everybody knows somebody. That's my cousin. That's so-and-so's cousin. Ray Ray's going to get you, right? you got to be careful when you talk about folks. So when we were moving back here, we found a house that was built in the early 60s, and one of the bathrooms in the back just needed some, well, TLC. And I didn't know who to call, and and, um, so through a friend, I called a contractor here in town, Highly recommended. And I said, hey, I need some work. Would you go over there and just give me an estimate because it's just going to be a mess. I'd like to have it done before we get there. And so he went over there, and he told me it was under budget, what we thought it was going to be. And so I said, okay, well, listen, I'm going to be there in four days. Could you go ahead and knock it out? You said it wouldn't take you but about a day or two. He said, well, I need you to send me the money on the front end because the truth is I don't really know you. And if I go and buy this product and do the work and hire someone to help me and you come in town and you don't pay me, then I'm out the money. I said, well, if we're going by that rush now, I don't know you either. <laughs> and so if I send you the money and I get in town and my bathroom's the same, we're both out. I said, but here's what I know about Albany, Georgia. That integrity matters. And it's such a tight-knit community that if you cheat me, it's going to hurt your business. And if I cheat you, I'm not going to have a job at the church. He said, I'll tell you what, when you get in town, you just bring me the money. So when I pulled into town, I drove straight to our house, walked in the back door, down the hall, and gave him a check for the full amount and shook hands. Why? Because integrity matters. And I give to a church where integrity matters, where the people know where the budget is, where we vote on the budget book each year. We know where it's going. It's not hidden in some smoke-filled room, but that the funds are handled with absolute integrity and transparency. And lastly, my family gives because we know our money goes to something bigger than us and that will outlast us. I said at the beginning that God doesn't want your money, that he wants your heart. And I mean that. That wasn't an end around. That wasn't some pithy statement hoping to, to pull at your heartstrings. It's just the bottom line. And if God has our heart, and we're in partnership with the gospel, as Paul was in partnership with Philemon, as it, as it uh, dealt with Onesimus, if, if we are in partnership with the gospel, we know that we're giving to something greater. We want to do this series this entire month, not to guilt you into anything, but to help you be freed up from the stress, the finances, the guilt of not giving or giving sporadically, or the bondage of debt. We want you to know The one who forgives debt and the greatest debt that can ever be forgiven is not your college loans it's not your home it's not your two or three car notes the greatest debt that can ever be forgiven is your sin debt the Bible tells us that the father sent his one and only son to live a perfect sinless life and he died on the cross for me and for you and it's a story that you're probably very familiar with and you wouldn't have tied it in necessarily with the study on refinance in the book of Philemon but can I tell you something that God desires to give you a fresh start and there's no better time than to do that today you see God created something in perfection for mankind and womankind to know Him intimately and we chose sin over Him sin is anything that deviates from God's design, God's plan, God's masterpiece and master plan. And we do that, we find ourselves in brokenness. We find ourselves far from God, and we try to fix our own brokenness through being busy or hobbies or relationships or acquiring more goods. When we do that, we realize that we're just in deeper and deeper brokenness, further and further bondage. But God sent His Son so that we wouldn't have to live in bondage. So we wouldn't have to live and operate in brokenness. And the only way that we can escape our own brokenness and find the person of Christ is to repent. This is a fancy word for not just telling God I'm sorry, but turning away from my sin. Turning my back on my former way of thinking, my former way of living, and following after, pursuing hard after the person of Christ. That we repent. And we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, has done what he has said he'd done, and will do what he said he will do. And we do that, we're able to recover and pursue God's original design for the right here and the right now. Now here's what I know. Typically in a finance series, everybody's a little tight, a little uptight and reserved. And the last thing you want to do is to come and talk with a pastor or pray, because then you might think people may think that you're in some type of financial bondage, or you've been you've been holding back money from from the church, or you feel guilty. Can I tell you something? That's worldly, carnal thinking. If God's calling you to any decision today, you be responsible to listening to His voice, not to the voice of the enemies of what other people might be thinking or saying. None of those things matter in light of who God is and what he's calling you to do. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father, we're grateful that you are not just a generous God, you are the one true generous God, and we love you for that. Father, I ask that you would move during this time. That, Father, you would show us the ways that Father, we could be freed up to walk in generosity, to live in generosity because we serve a generous God. Father, if there's anybody in this room today that has never trusted you as Savior, I pray that, Father, they would humble themselves and step out and we will meet them halfway. Maybe somebody in this room, Father, needs prayer that that they're broken. We know that this is a time of the year when the enemy seems to attack more than others. Father, please convince your people not to do this alone. Would you move, Jesus, and have your way? Amen. Our pastors are down front. If you need to pray, you come.